Welcome back to Agam the Climate Podcast, a literary podcast on climate and consciousness. The last time you heard from us was before the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope that you and all you hold dear are safe and in good spirits. As we grapple with new uncertainties, we are bringing you the voices of poets, artists, and scientists who find solace and strength in the imagination. I'm Padma Perez. Join me as we weave together climate science, the humanities, and actionable hope. If you've tuned in to our previous episodes, you'll know all about the book Agam, Filipino Narratives on Uncertainty and Climate Change. Over the past year, we've been working on an international sequel, and what a sequel it is, an anthology of photographs, poetry, fiction, and short essays from Africa, Asia, the Pacific, and Latin America. Like in the first book, we selected photos and sent these out to writers as prompts. In this episode, I chat with three amazing people who have poured time, energy, and love into the making of the second book. Alexandra Walter, regional editor for Latin America, is a poet, an award-winning documentary filmmaker, a translator, and the founder of the poetry performance group Complices, based in Cali, Colombia. Rehana Rousseau, regional editor for Africa, is a respected journalist of 30 years who taught journalism and creative writing in South Africa. Her first novel won an award for fiction from the National Institute for Humanities and Social Sciences. It's called What Will People Say? Ramon Sunico, or Ravi as he is known to friends and family, is a poet, a teacher at the Ateneo de Manila University, and an accomplished book designer and publisher who has given us many beautiful books of children's literature and Philippine literature. Ravi, a contributor to the first book, has shaped and guided the process for both Agam Filipino narratives and the forthcoming book. This conversation was recorded in August 2019 in Ground Bravo Studios, during a day of heavy rain and lashing winds in Metro Manila. COVID-19 was nowhere on the horizon, and we had the opportunity to spend several days together planning the Agam sequel. I joined them as project lead and regional editor for Asia and the Pacific. Thank you for being here for Agam, the climate podcast. Hello. Ravi, hi. Thanks for coming through the rain and the wind and the floods. And Alexandra. Buenos dias, Filipinos. Me encanta que me estén escuchando. Rihanna. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'll go around and I'll, uh, I'll ask you, Alexandra, you, thank you so much for traveling all the way from Cali to be here. What brought you here? to this moment, to to be with us? When you asked us to think about that, it made me uh, look inside, and uh, the answer was, I do not want to die, not yet. This year I'm going to be 69 years old, and why do I say not yet? Because I feel the need to contribute some way 
somehow. And you have given me the opportunity. And I hope I can do my job well then. What about you, Rehana, coming here from South Africa? What brought you here? I think firstly, um, personally for myself, um, after spending many years working for a company that was owned by private equity, whatever that means, who... (laughs) (laughs) Really? who it seems at times placed more value on the equipment than they did on the human beings working for the company. Um, The private equity owners who did away with sick leave, paid sick leave, who did away with paid compassionate leave, who expected you to be at work even when you've had a bereavement in your family. I myself experienced that alienation. Um, I call myself an alienated unit of capitalist labor. I don't regret that I spent so many years, you know, as an extension of a computer on a desk, um, as a working part of that computer that they put on the desk. But now I'm living in nature. I'm living near the sea. I'm living near the forests. And I feel an urgent need to heal myself through being in those spaces. I don't think anything is more healing than walking in a forest. Um, And I feel an urgent need to conserve it. Um, So when I got the call from Agam, um, Agam was speaking the language that I had already been thinking about. And I feel like I'm privileged to be working on this project. Um, I also think that we've got good, strong voices um, among African writers. And I would love um, to share their voices with readers across the world. And I think that this project gives us an opportunity to let our writers shine and to show that writers are part of the solution. What about you, Ravi? I was an informal consultant of Red, Renato Redentor Constantino. He's the guy behind this initiative. And so I was just a participant. I helped him make the list of writers. Anyway, what struck me was um, I brought the book to school where I teach. And one of my teachers, uh, co-teachers, asked to read it. And then the book stayed with her for a year. And she said, this is just the book I need. Because in my literature class, we're discussing the themes of nature, of not necessarily climate change, but the environment, one's relationship with the world, etc. And we need something like this. Because you can't discuss the science. I mean, how long will the science last for a MA-level literature elective? And this was unsolicited. This is like uh, a person you don't know liking your poem, right? You realize, oh, there's no marketing involved. She saw the book, and then she wrote me another letter that said, and my friend in Belgium is taking it up in his class. And now that doesn't happen if the students aren't already thinking about it if writers aren't already doing it. And I felt this this next step, Agam International, helps build the glue among disparate people in the humanities who think, am I the only one doing this uh, by myself? Or worse, is it just a bunch of academics talking among themselves the way the scientists uh, talk among themselves. The beautiful thing with books and 
publishing initiatives is they become bridges to people who aren't in university and people who aren't in a laboratory, just people. I come from a so-called third world. I come from Colombia and South America. We have part of the Amazon in our country. And uh, we are now required to take care of it so that others can breathe. But we need others, the ones that need 30 shirts to survive, to realize that to grow the cotton for 30 shirts, they're leaving a footprint that we can't be asked to erase. I think also I'm a great believer in structural change. And because I'm from South Africa, I, we, I spent many years myself personally and watched so many people in my country campaign for structural change. And I th my problem with the climate debate is everybody's putting the responsibility on individuals now, rich, poor, and middle class, to save the planet. I think there's far too little focus on what our politicians are doing, the people who are really capable of making the changes that we need to make right now, the people who are aware of the science and they choose to ignore it, the people who are pushing coal when they know that there is solar power, the people who are not um, bringing criminal prosecutions against big corporations who are polluting the earth, the big corporations who are polluting the earth and getting away with it. I get quite angry when I read articles on climate change and people expect peasants who live very close to the land, who nurture the land, who care for the land, the people who are still living the way that we used to not that long ago. In, in some places in Asia, in some places in Latin America, in some places in Africa, they're still living the way that they lived generations ago. And they are not polluting the, the planet. They are not emitting carbon into the planet. But we focus on the climate change that every individual needs to make instead of focusing on what big corporations who have politicians in their pockets need to do. And I would like to see more of our campaigning activities focused on make the right vote, make the right choice, buy from companies that don't use that much plastic, buy from companies that don't sell junk. For me, a big problem living in a country that isn't possible a little bit less poor than our neighbors in Africa, is everybody wants a thing. People work for things nowadays. So you've got a big screen TV, but suddenly you need a curved TV. You've got a cell phone. Suddenly you need a smartphone. You've got a computer. Suddenly you need a laptop. It's consume, 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 consume. And what happens to everything that we consume? It goes into a landfill. And whose responsibility is the landfill? our grandchildren. We are doing this to the next generation before we were supposed to care for the next, for the generation that comes after us. But we are of a generation that doesn't think about the consequences of our actions for the generations to come. And for me, that's the only change we need to make. I agree, but all three of you have encapsulated the whole range from the individual culpability all the way to systemic structural problems, the politicians, the corporations who have very powerful interests and have the means to make those interests 
prevail on the rest of the world. And so part of what we need to do as individuals and part of what we're trying to do with AGAM, as you also said, is to make people feel that this is something they can and should talk about, that it's it's something that belongs to all of us. And our role, one of the things we can do, not as individuals, but as collectives and as communities, is to demand that something is done about this by the politicians and the corporations that are making it difficult and that are trying to deny where we are. And the denial isn't even new. The denial started decades ago because the science was already saying this was an issue decades ago. So the denial, the the science is not new and the denial is not new as well because they knew long, long ago that this was where we were headed. And yesterday, when we were on Kai Farms in Cavite, the permaculture farm we visited, you noticed the one that said, climate can change, why can't we? I noticed to the side there was a song, the lyrics of a song, written on a billboard, a small board, painted on. And I read up close and the line said something like, kalikasan, kalikasan, or nature or environment, uh, this is ours. And then a revision in marker was made on the text so that it changed. It no longer said, this is ours. It said, we we borrowed this. It translated as, so ito ay atin, it said first. And then with the revision, and you could tell because there was an arrow and some words, a word was added and a letter, and the revision was, ito ay hiram natin. So from this is ours to we borrowed this. And, and that's a way of thinking that you said we need to return to the fact that we don't have the right to destroy everything. We have to look after the next generations and the next and the next. From ownership to stewardship. Yes. And the situation is so critical that it is not even the next generations. Yeah, it's happening The now. disaster yeah. is happening right now. So I just caught on TV that the forecast for the melting of the ice in Greenland was set at 2070. But it's happening now. And of course, it's it's not that it's not important, Rehana, to save this planet for the grandchildren. But but people should awake right like right now. It's also in one generation how we've changed, how we've been fooled into thinking that a first world life was a modern life and a desirable life. Yes. Something that I read that I found fascinating is if everybody in the planet lived in this ideal, and I put quotes around it, consumption levels of the first world, we would need right now, today, three planets. I think the predominant way of thinking now, if you talk to an average person on the street or in class, uh, with students, or even in our families, nature is something far away. And it's, it's a function of the way we live. 
nowadays is you have to go out of the city to experience nature. It's not something here. It's not the air we breathe. It's not the water we're drinking. We're talking of the ocean and the beaches and the mountains and the forests. When we think of nature, we're not thinking of the way we live every day. So there is a, there is a disconnect there in not seeing the work as having an impact on the environment that's also supposed to sustain the work. So there's also those kinds of disconnections being made. And I think that's part of why we can allow things like climate change to happen is because we're not seeing the connection. We don't think of the connection between economic activity and environmental impact. So there is, I feel, this fragmentation of human solidarity. I feel this fragmentation of pooling ideas, that ideas don't belong to an elite, it doesn't belong to intellectuals. And with the crisis that we're facing right now, the ideas we need the most are from the people who are living on the land and with the land and not exploiting the land. And whether they're educated or not, they are the ones, I think, who are going to lead the way to our survival, not even to our future, to our survival. We've been hinting about the next book, the new literary anthology, Agam International. Alexandra, what is the next book? A bomb. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. And Rihanna, what kind of contributions can we expect? What are writers going to be sending the three of you in the next phase of the book? I'm hoping that they are going to be inspired by the challenge that we're setting them, to find an urgent voice, um, which is human, which is thought is about people living on this planet, people who are as part of this planet as a plant and a cockroach, who live together. We live together with plants. We live together with cockroaches. um, And that would be able to inspire readers for us to go back to the way we used to live where we valued nature more than we valued plastic. I also hope uh, that the works become a model. What, what do I mean by model? That people themselves, seeing this example, writers, artists, try to face their own engagement with the issue of environmental degradation, but in a way that goes beyond the, the buzzword, the packages, the cliches, the sock media suggestions that all you have to do is follow them, your guilt is over, to get beyond, well, the paralysis, uh, uh, the analysis paralysis. Because the change from the inside starts with that, seeing beyond the regular words, seeing beyond our own fatigue. And why is this important at this time, a book like this that we are creating? Well, I think we're late. I don't think it's important. I think we're late that we have lulled ourselves into a complacency that it's still about to happen. In many ways, I think many adults are saying uh, it's a bit of a cop-out that, oh, I'm worried because my children will inherit it. I think it's happening to us right now. So again, this division of things, you know, so you can delay things and actually, and that's what art and literature can hasten. Mother Nature is convulsing with anger and humans are about to find out how weak, how tiny, 
and how unimportant they actually are. And I think that's a lesson humanity has to learn. Alexandra, why now and why does it still count? Why or how can we make it still count? It is not the only effort. It is not the only valid effort. Everybody is trying in different ways, you know, fighting from different grounds with the tools that they have. And, uh, but I think it is, is, it is an important weapon in this battle. Our words. Words. And, and with, with everything we know about climate change and everything we've spoken about, there's so much to worry about. There's so much to be afraid of. What gives you hope, Ravi? I tell my students, I learned this from someone else, of course, that hope begins from confronting your despair. If you want a negative definition, hope is the refusal to despair. So we start with despair. I think we all have the knowledge that we need. People don't need to learn new ways. People just need to be asked to examine their daily habits. People don't leave their feces near their kitchen doors. Um, but the planet is getting to the point where the yeah, feces exactly. yeah. is outside everybody's kitchen door. But everybody knows that's the wrong thing to do. So I don't think people need to be taught new tools. I think people just need to turn their back on rampant consumerism and they need to start conserving the planet like all plants do and like all animals do. And we are animals. Alexandra? Of course, this is a, a grandmother speaking. Abuela. Abuela. My hope comes from the fact that youth has taken this as their challenge. Yes. They have risen and they are exigiendo, demanding from politicians, like Rehana said, structural changes. I think that is, gives us a lot of hope because we will soon be out of the picture or at least this bodily image of ourselves will be out of the picture pretty soon. But youth is here, has taken the reins and, and they're driving. They're driving the right way. This is a tool that we are giving them to, the next to fight. Is the tool. Yes. Because literature... The and, next li anthology, yes. And I think our problem is more than a rational problem because we've seen the argument and yet the behavior hasn't followed. And our line of work deals with the non-rational, with encouragement, with inspiration. With hope? With hope, yes. And I agree. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm here is because of what some of the youth are doing. I, I'm, I'm foreseeing a very difficult time politically because they, they want to change the counters of the political game itself. And that's very exciting. You can listen to Alex, Rehana, and Ravi read their work in the accompanying reading list of Agam the Climate podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website. In the coming episodes, you'll hear more from writers across the Global South as they share sneak peeks into our forthcoming anthology of climate literature. Until then, stay safe. Thank you for listening. Agam the Climate podcast is produced by the Institute for Climate and Sustainable Cities and Ground Bravo Studios, with music by Zero Fox. 
For more, follow Agam the Climate Podcast on Spotify and SoundCloud. We are a part of the Agam Agenda, a shape-shifting platform for transdisciplinary collaboration where we reimagine the climate crisis through stories and art. Engage with the Agam Agenda on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website agam.ph. That's A-G-A-M dot P-H.